Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Good morning. Uh, Before I get started, I want to kind of update you all. If you were here last week, you heard us make an announcement about this building, that God has given us an opportunity to potentially move into this space and have it 24-7 in February. Uh, It's with that in mind that we are going to begin a campaign. Now, last year we had what we called the All Nations Initiative. And what that did was it allowed us to start up a youth ministry. So when you see the teens hanging around, shout out to the youth ministry. Um, we, didn't, we didn't have that before, and so that afforded us the opportunity. If you were here uh, when we had Soul Cafe, uh, we hadn't done that in years, and it afforded us that opportunity. And then uh, we had to raise money to move in because last year we were in an art gallery, and then we ended up moving into here. Well, now we are bringing back the All Nations Initiative, um, and we have three new causes, three new causes. The first is that we would become 24-7 tenants And we want to acknowledge, if you weren't here last year, this was not our plan. If anything, we would have tried to move in maybe five years from now. Uh, But because of the situation that our uh, owners are in, where they may not be, where they're most likely not going to have a restaurant here anymore, um, they are either going to shut down or we're going to move in. Praise God. So uh, we're in that position right now. So we want to be able to raise money for 24-7 access. We also, uh, our children's director, Jasmine Hart, does an incredible job for us. Praise God for her. Well, we've noticed that working with the children is one thing, but we've noticed as we've had more families come, we want to minister not just to the kids, but more to families, giving families opportunities to meet one another, to bless one another, creating um, different ministry opportunities for them. So she, we're elevating her to families director. So we're going to be raising money for that as well. <laughs> Did not anticipate that. That's great. Well, um, we are also creating an opportunity to uh, increase our uh, online uh, effect, our online reach. And so we'll be bringing on a part-time um, uh, social media director. And so uh, we actually, next week, we'll have applications open for that, uh, but we will be raising money for that as well. Now, those are our three causes. Uh, <laughs> last year, uh, we announced this. And it was the first time we had done it. We were trying to raise 60000 And uh, some people whispered in my ears, like, I don't know how we're going to raise 60000 And by some people, I mean my wife, praise the Lord. And, um, and then we ended up raising close to 300000 So that was by God's grace, yes. So, so the Lord was like, well, how about I put you in a harder situation? Uh, because our rent is going to increase. If I come to the members meeting. We're going to talk more detail about that. But um, so instead of 60000 uh, we are trying to raise 600000 this year, all right? Now, um, now with, with uh, raising $600,000, um, you might first think how much money you have. But I believe that when we try to raise this amount of money, we, we first think, what does God want? 
And we believe this is aligning to God's will to have us here. And so this is an opportunity. This is not a requirement, it is not a law. It is actually an opportunity before God to invest in this community so that we might reach this area. With that in mind, uh, if you were to go to allnations.nyc, you'll see the several ways to give there. We're asking that this would not be your tithe, but it would be above your tithe. Now again, don't feel pressure. What you th I don't want you to feel pressure about money. I want you to feel the presence of the Lord and begin to ask, what can God do? Now, we are continuing to think about what this space would look like. We've had a general contractor in here, an architect, and moving the bars out and all that. Those will be all the phases. But as a church, we are still in a position where we're waiting on a lease. We've just done a letter of intent. But we have to move as an organization as if we're going to move in February 1st. We have to be prepared for that. So, uh, and, and, and in talking to the owners, they... Uh, we are really their option that they have. So we're really excited about that. We ask that you pray with us on that, go to the website and consider what the Lord could do through you. Amen? Amen. Father, we ask, would you bless, would you bless, would you bless, would you bless this time? Would you use us to do something that only you can do? Would you open up the windows of heaven and pour out on us a blessing that we cannot stand? Do something with this building, do something with this church, but use us, use us individually in this room so that we might be taking part of what you would be doing. We just wanna join you in what you're doing in this city. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen? Again, good to have you here. Acts chapter two, we started to really talk about how this community was growing. That is the church, it's the beginning of the church. The book of Acts tells the story of how the church began. When the church begins in the book of Acts, do not think of influential people because oftentimes we think of growth, we think of influencers. But these were not influencers, these were oppressed, minorities, no kings, no priests, no prophets, no lawyers or leaders. These were broken, marginalized people, and it was about 120 of them praying in a room, waiting on the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden in Acts chapter two, boom. 3,000 souls get saved in one day. The Bible says in Acts chapter two, verse 41, those who received the word were baptized, and on that day, 3,000 souls were added. The church, exploded on day one. This was not just people that, in the, that the 120 knew in relationships or networked with. If you remember, it was a time of Pentecost, so Pentecost was the largest festival that would happen in Jerusalem amongst Israel, and people would come from all around. So that day, the church was added to there in Acts 2, it talks about people from Mesopotamia and people from Judea, people from Cyrene and people from Rome, people from Asia, people from Egypt. So think about the excitement of going from 120 people who don't know nobody to 3,000 people. All types of shades and expressions and complexions, all types of languages from all around the region. They exploded. If you've ever started an organization, if you've ever started something, 
One thing that feels good is when people want what you have. And we call it momentum. People are coming in. They're checking it out. They're looking at it. And I could only imagine that the church felt so much momentum. The Egyptians, the Asians, the Cyrenes, they're coming. Thousands of people are here. There's got to be so much excitement. Acts chapter 2 says they were going house to house, breaking bread, fellowshipping. But understand that whenever the church begins to build momentum and push back the gates of hell, when they push back darkness, there's one more person that would like to come check out your church. Whenever there is an expansion of light, darkness will want to fight. And know this, Satan decided they wanted to come check out the church. Whenever the church is increasing in godliness, momentum, and pushing out darkness, Satan would like to take a visit. Visit because you are now a threat. You know, back when, back, 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 back in the day when I used to do pickup basketball, my knees <laughs> no longer agree. But there would be, you know, we would get on the court and there'd be that one person that can't really shoot, can't really dribble, can't, can't, don't really know the game. And all of a sudden the, the opponent would say, self-check. And self-check meant you don't even need to defend that person. They are a problem all by themselves. No one needs to defend them. And unfortunately, there are some churches that Satan doesn't need to visit because they're a self-check. You see, when you're preaching the word of God, you're seeing transformation. When the prayers of the saints are radically transforming lives, you become a threat to the enemy. And so Satan wants to check out your church. Understand he has a targeted approach. Ephesians 5 says he has schemes. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, what he does is he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour someone, 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 someone. No, I don't need everybody, just someone. Someone I can influence and someone that will align themselves to my will, not God's will. Someone. He is curious about the motives of your heart. I don't have time to go into it in detail, but I, I would say there's four categories that I'm going to preach on the fourth category, but, but I believe that there are four categories that Satan looks for. He looks for the isolated, the curious, the unrepentant, and the ambitious. The isolated, the curious, the unrepentant, and the ambitious. The believer that says, I can do bad on my own. I'll just try to be able to fight the Christian life and live a victorious walk with God isolated. No one needs to know what's going on with me. I'll pray by myself, live by myself, confess to God on my own, and never be vulnerable with the people of God. Satan prowls around you because you isolate yourself. 
The second is the curious. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Curious, curious, curious. You don't want to sin. You just want to know what it smells like. I don't want to go to sin's house. I just want to go on the block. I don't want to sin. I just want to be sin adjacent. I want to be by sin. I want to be around sin. I want to be in the close ministry. I want to get close to it. But I don't want to be identified with it. I just, I'm curious about alternative lifestyles outside of what God clearly says. And then there is the openly unrepentant. God said it. I ain't going to do it. Huh? Forgive. I'm going to be bitter. Love, I'll hate. And you are openly rebellious, but you've convinced yourself lies are truth. And then fourthly, ambitious. Such an ambitious city, isn't it? Everybody want to do something big. And unfortunately, oftentimes, we will use God for the big thing we want to do. He's such a big God. He can do all things. Since you can do all things, do something for me. And unfortunately, in our desires to do great things, we just use God. And although we pray the prayers and we talk the talk, we make it look like we're God chasing, but we're actually clout chasing. We want the light to reflect on you, but make sure it gets on me too. Ambition, seen, recognized, known. And here, we will look at a couple who got beguiled by the evil one because they had a heart of ambition that was greater than a heart for righteousness. Now, saints, as I talk about those four categories, I'm only going to talk about this fourth category of ambition. But I just encourage you, as I talk about the isolated, the curious, the unrepentant, and the ambitious, don't think about anybody except you. It's like, you know, I wish Keisha was here because she, she'd be isolating herself. And I just, no, think about you. Think about your walk. Think about where you at because he prowls around seeking someone. Don't think you can't be the someone. Amen. Acts chapter four. We have to set the context for the text. Acts chapter four. It was Pentecost. Pentecost is booming. Pentecost, again, is the largest festival that would happen in Jerusalem. It was in the summertime, so that was a great time for traveling. And so there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people here in Jerusalem at the time. Acts chapter 2 happens. 3,000 souls get saved. Remember, I mentioned all these people from all these different countries have come and they've walked to Jerusalem to be a part of Pentecost. But while they were there celebrating this festival, all of a sudden they come to know the Lord Jesus after Peter's preaching. So what did they decide to do? Instead of going back to Cyrene, instead of going back to Egypt, they decide they want to now live in this community with brothers and sisters in Christ because there is no other church. So they decide they want to live in Jerusalem instead of live other places. Can you imagine a city that has a bunch of people that just want to live in it and have no place to stay, but they migrate there? That's the joke. Do y'all get it? This is the New York City. Okay, work with me. 12 o'clock service. All these people decide, I want to live here now. And so because of that, right now in this text, 
There are people who love God, part of the church, but don't have a home to stay in. And can you imagine the church decided to answer the problem by giving up their homes? Acts chapter four, verse 32 through 34 reads this way. Now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and great grace was upon them. You know what? There was not a needy person among them. No one thought their possessions were their own. No one was needy. I want you to note, the apostles did not make this a mandate. This wasn't a campaign, this wasn't a law. What actually started happening was, and if you read there in the text, it wasn't that they just became generous. The first thing that happened was they thought that what they had was not their own. They simply thought this is a stewardship from God and I wanna use it how God would want it to be used. It's because they had this idea of stewardship that they become generous. And they start thinking, if there's a need and I've got something that can meet it, my home is now yours. And so they end up giving it to the church. And with this, I want you to notice there, right there in verse 32, it said, no one said that any of these things that belong to them was his own. No one, no one. So what ends up happening is there's a culture that started. Everyone's doing it. Everyone's giving away what they have. Everyone's being generous. Everyone is blessing the community. That's what we call a culture. When there is like a wave, a common, it's common. And with this common culture of generosity, it's a great moment in the church. Momentum, homes, it's exciting. Well, the text says, verse 34 and 35, for as many as were owners of lands or of houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each. They had any, laid it at the apostles' feet. I grew up in church. I am a church kid through and through church all day. Mother was over Christian education. Dad was, you know, associate pastor. So that meant I was a part of everything. I was a junior usher. I was a junior deacon. I was a junior, junior, junior. I was a part of everything. VBS, I was Joseph every year. I just, I just, kept, I just kept talking to Mary every year. And so in growing up in church, one of the things that we would do, I know we're too sophisticated now, one of the things we would do is that when we would do the offering, we had an offering line. Say amen if you know what I'm talking about. We had an offering line. And what we would do is uh, the two uh, women would be up here with their white outfits on and they would have the basket and you would come down and the organ would start playing, do, do, do. Now see, that was your opportunity if you had the right fit. And I'm not saying I was in the flesh, I'm just saying I watched. But that was your opportunity to come down the middle of the aisle and um, especially if you were single, praise God, that was an opportunity just to show that you were available, praise God, and you gave. 
I know y'all never thought that way, but I'm just saying that's what would happen. And people would come down the aisle and it was somewhat ceremonious and symbolic. Well, if you look at what's happening here, at that time in an Eastern way of thinking, when you gave, you would lay money or gifts at the apostles' feet. Remember, we're about to celebrate Christmas and remember the frankincense and the myrrh? It was laid at the manger in the same way they would lay it at the apostles' feet and in laying it at the apostles' feet, they're saying, hey, you are great and mighty and I'm giving this gift to you, but I'm really giving it to God and it was symbolic and it was honorific and it was powerful. Look at what I've done. And then if you look in verse 36 and 37, there was a man named Josephus, who's also known as Barnabas, and I won't go into detail with it, but Barnabas ends up being Paul's co-leader. He ends up being his missionary partner. But this is the first time we see him. So what we can identify is people started getting recognized as godly for laying the deeds and the money at the apostles' feet. So can you imagine this? All these people are laying money at the apostles' feet, and someone goes, oh, Bar look at Barnabas. Barnabas, they, they, they celebrate in Barnabas. And someone gets the idea, I'd like the recognition he has. Now, I don't want to do the same level of sacrifice, but I'd like the same level of recognition. And so, this couple conspire. They make a decision. In Acts chapter 5, it says in verse 1, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought it only, uh, uh, brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So him and his wife decide, you know what, we're going to sell the house, but we'll keep half the money, but we'll make it seem like we gave all the money and we'll lay it at the apostles' feet just like Barnabas did. And we're going to get that same recognition. And in verse three, it says, and I just want you to imagine Ananias laying this, these proceeds down at the feet of Peter. He's so excited. He lays it down. I'm sure he looked up with a big smile on his face. I did it just like Barnabas did. You see that? And as he looks at Peter, Peter looks at him with a bone dry look on his face. And he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your own disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but you lied to God. Wow, can you imagine the look on Ananias' face as Peter openly rebuked him about his gift? Now, saints, I want you to know and hear me and hear me well. 
When we planned to do Acts chapter five about rebuking people about the gifts they give, I did not plan on having a campaign on giving right before this. This might be the worst gift giving campaign verse of all time. I did not plan it. I can feel your thoughts. I did not, I promise you, because if I could plan it, I would just remove this text. But I do believe there's something happening here because Peter, instead of just receiving the gift, he speaks towards his heart. And it speaks to what God is really after. Because if you lie, but you think to yourself, well, this will have a good outcome, God is still grieved. He's still fully grieved, even if it's a partial lie. I want you to notice what Peter says to him. Ananias, why has Satan, look what it says, filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. Now, for my theologians that are tracking with this, some of you would say, well, how can Satan fill the heart of a believer? Well, here's what we just have to basically do theologically. We have to understand that when he says lie to the Holy Spirit, that indicates to us that he has the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you're a believer. Romans tells us this. So because of that, we can presume as a believer if Satan is filling your heart to lie, it must be that he's really using language that indicates Satan has influenced you, but you participated with him. He wasn't controlling you. You subscribe to his channel. You align to his will. He, he was prowling around, seeking who he could devour, and he saw how you wanted recognition. He saw your ambition. He saw your desires. He figured out your combination, and he saw him and her. Yeah. And when he says lying to the Holy Spirit, what he is indicating is in many ways, these people convinced themselves that lying was a good thing, because it's for the church. I mean, I'm holding some of it back, but it's for a good purpose. And I just want you to know that Satan will help you make sin make sense. Satan will make sin sound reasonable. Satan will make sin sound like, yeah, because you got it, because in the end, right. So what it is, is that if you keep back half, you could do other things, but then you lie, but is it really lying though? And it's, a, it's for the truth and all these things. And your mind is going all these different ways. And, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it's complicated, but Satan makes it sound reasonable. And he gets you convinced. And essentially what Peter's rebuking him about is, how did you get yourself to believe this? Because what Peter's really getting at is, you didn't have to do this. You could have given as much as you wanted, but Satan influenced you. And you, in, you influenced yourself. Church, you, you must understand, the Bible says it this way, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That he comes sounding beneficial, sounding helpful, and sounding right. But in the end, he is a liar. And y'all know some good liars, don't you? I was a good liar once. I was a good liar. I don't know about you. I was a good, listen. I would lie so much, I was like, am I telling the truth? I don't know, I was just, <laughs> I had emotions, all that. 
What, is it, what, what makes a good lie? You fill it with a whole lot of truth. You just douse in a little bit of lie. And Satan tries to make that little lie reasonable. But how many of you know that that little lie is still big to God? And it is with that that Peter confronts him and says, Acts 5, 4, you haven't lied. Think about the, think about what Peter ends up saying to him. You haven't lied to man. You didn't lie to me. You didn't lie to the church. This is not about the apostles. This is not about the proceeds. This is not about the house. In actuality, you lied to God. And can you imagine a God who weeps over little lies? Can you imagine a holy God that is hurt even over your so-called good intentions? And what Peter does is Peter calls sin, sin. And I don't have a lot of time to go into this, but if you want to be a good and godly friend, or if you want to get godly friends, have a friend that will call sin, sin. And if you want to be a friend, call sin, sin. Don't call it how you felt. Don't call it the day of the age. Don't call it anything else. Call it sin. And you will be preserving their life, not just making them feel good. Oh, I wish I had just friends that wouldn't just want to make me feel good, but want, would want, want to have me living unto God, living on his ways, because I believe God's ways are better than my ways. I believe his thoughts are better than my thoughts. I believe God's wisdom is better than my advice. And so Peter does the healthiest thing he can do for him. He says, no, I know you cooked this up and I know it sounded right, but it's still wrong. Now, why all this? The brother took, the brother sold his house. Isn't that nice? That's nice. Any of y'all selling the house? If anybody want to sell a house and keep it, we'll, we'll do that. But I'm just saying... Isn't that amazing? He sold the house, kept half the money. What's so bad? I think one of the things that you have to realize is in this text is uh, at the beginning of things, God understands how cultures can get made, how things can become reasonable, how things can progress. And so you'll see oftentimes God will strike judgment at the early advent of something. Think about Adam and Eve. All they did was eat fruit. But God's consequences was about the ripple effect that that would have. Why is this striking down? Why? Because it's the beginning of the church. And in the beginning of the church, he strikes down a culture of holiness. And even if you look in the book of Joshua, there was a man named Achan. Now, many of you may know the story of how the Israelites were going against Jericho and the Bible says to go around seven times and shout and the walls of Jericho will fall. But one thing you may not realize was one of the things that God said in that instruction was to not only surround the walls and shout, but he says also, don't take any of the devoted things. That would be the gold, that would be any of the treasure. Anything you see in Jericho, don't take it for yourself. There was a man named Achan who decided to secretly take some of the spoil for himself. 
And as he took the spoil for himself, and this is after they defeated Jericho, Joshua now decides, you know what? After we defeated Jericho by just shouting, how can we lose? We just shouted and the walls fell. We're about to kill everybody. So then they decide, you know what? Let's go after Ai. Ai was about northwest. So they decide to go up to Ai, another town. And as they go up to Ai, 32 people end up getting killed. And they come back and they're like, what happened? And God says, watch this church. God says, you didn't defeat Ai because there's sin in your camp. Because there's, 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 there's someone who went against what I clearly said not to do. And remove that one from among you. And what God was actually saying was, the small sin that can be overlooked is actually blocking the blessing for the whole community. And oftentimes, far too oftentimes, we think the pastor's righteousness is the greatest thing we need to hold accountable. But I would surmise that I am not the body, but we are the body. And if we are the body, if we are the body, then you living a godly life is just as important as me living a godly life. That I pray and we pray, and then we build a culture of godliness together. So your sins of omission and commission matter to all of us, all of us. So can you imagine Achan was like, I just took a little bit of spoil. And in Joshua 7, 1, it says, but the Israelites were unfaithful, but the Israelites were unfaithful. It was just one man and one family. But he says, but the Israelites were unfaithful. He looked at his sin as having a corporate effect. Joshua 7, 11, it says, Israel has sinned. This is what God says, and they have violated my covenant, which I have commanded to keep. And so far too often, we don't think about how my sin can create a culture. This is why we are together in trying to have an effect on this city. This is why we're together in trying to love and pray. This is why we get together in the mornings and pray together on our prayer call, together. This is why we have multiple people praying. I dream of a day when there are multiple people preaching, more preachers happening, because I believe the Holy Spirit occupies all of us. In fact, if we try to build this church on a personality or a preacher, there's just so much we can do. But if the Spirit of God is filling all of us, if godliness is exuding out of all of us, if fruit is bountiful in all of us, then we will be an orchard of godliness. And so much people can do through us. The church here grows not because Peter was a dynamic preacher, it grows because the Holy Spirit took a hold of their lives. So he holds them accountable, Ananias and Sapphira. The kind of person you want to be is a person that longs for God to expose them. Not expose publicly. I mean, <laughs> look here in Acts 5, 5 and 6. 
When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Brother died right there. That's why I say this is not a great raise money text, I tell you. <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> Aren't you glad God doesn't discipline like this all the time anymore? Yeah, because yeah, we'd all be dead. I mean, especially for something like this. God, thankfully, does not always do this, but he's still in the exposing business. That person that you heard about, God probably had long suffering, long patience with them, and in the end exposed them because his exposition is still loving. And the kind of prayer I pray that you would pray is in Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. David says it this way, search me, O God. And Ananias was trying so bad to have a name and to be recognized that he stopped having those quiet moments with God and saying, you take my agenda, you take my plan, you take my dreams, you take my life. He decided, I want my life, but I want to try to use your ways. I want to use your words. And that's where he got confused. But the kind of prayer that purifies the heart is when you say, you, you search me. Because if I search myself, I will make sin make sense. I will look around, overlook, look past what you've said. Do you know that we can deceive ourselves so good that we can make obvious things sound hard? Well, what does it mean? Well, let me look in the Greek. You don't need the Greek. <laughs> Some things are plain. And for Ananias, this was just lying. And I say to you, some of you are isolated right now. He's seeking someone. Someone ha that has decided, I, I can't trust nobody in that church. I can't tell nobody nothing. I got to do things on my own. I come into this church. I got to go out. I can't do all these things. I'm going to do life on my own. You are putting yourself in the trap of the evil one. And for the person that's curious, you're just looking around the corner and saying, you're like, I don't want to sin, but sin's looking good. So I'm going to just peek at it with one eye open. He prowls. For the person that is openly unrepentant, you are in danger. God opposes the proud. He gives mercy to the humble. And for the person that is ambitious, Transfer your ambition to God. This is what he says. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. You know my thoughts. Uncover my agenda. Wouldn't it be a shame if we raise all this money but ungodliness is in our camp? Wouldn't it be a shame If we had all these things happening, people are getting saved, lives are getting changed. But there's a camp that is openly living, unrepentant to the Lord. 
Oh, these aren't the kind of sermons that make it on your reels. These aren't the kind of sermons that get excited. But these are the messages that will transform your life. Because if you align your life to God's will, he will do more with you than you could possibly imagine. But it is when we have the hidden things. And so this afternoon, I encourage you, I pray that you would just make a decision. You just make a decision. You just make a decision. God, if there is any, if there is anything in me that is not like you, ex ex expose it. Not, not, not to the world. I expose it to me now in, in private. Tell me. Tell me about me because I can't see me. To tell me about me. Tell me about me. Tell me about me because I don't always see me. I will convince myself wrong is right. Tell me about me. I will walk in front of the apostles, lay a lie at their feet and think I'm going to get praise for a lie. Tell me about me. Because if God is doing something great, if we become more interested in the things of God, Satan will become more interested in us. And he will prowl. And he will seek. And as he seeks, you say, search me. As he targets, you align your life to God's will. And if we as a community do this, we will be an unstoppable force for the things of God. Do you understand? We will be an unstoppable, it will not be a building, it will be the Holy Ghost. We will be an unstoppable force for the things of God. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of all of us, and you just must be willing. Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this day. We ask you that you would do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you'd stand with me. Well, if you're here and you hear my voice, my prayer is that as I was talking about being isolated, that's where some of you are at or being curious, or being unrepentant, or being ambitious. That's where some of you are at. And today I want to offer you an opportunity not to make Jesus someone that you put like an ornament on the hood of your car, say, yeah, I'm with him. But no, someone that is in the driver's seat, that is the leader of your life. And you may have come to the altar before, or you may have been a member of a church before. You may have all types of spiritual backgrounds, but I want to invite you down to the front in the name of Jesus to give your life to the Lord and to make him your Lord. Not church membership, not anything else, but you want him to be the leader of your life. If that's you, I want to invite you to the front with open arms. Is there one? Is there one today that you want to come Amen. 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 I love you, Maxine. Amen. 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 And this is a beautiful picture because it doesn't matter how long you've been here. What it matters is your urgency for the things of God. Is there another? Is there another? Celebrate my sister. Amen. Amen. We love you. We love you today.
Is there another in the balcony over here? Amen, 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 amen. Is there another? Is there another? You just want to make that decision. You've been wrestling with it. You've been thinking about it. You want to make that decision. Today is the day of salvation. Is there another? Is there another here today? It doesn't matter how long you've been at this church. It doesn't. I'm asking you today, do you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life? Is there another? Is there another? Is there another? Is there another? Amen. 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 Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Is there another? Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? And I love, you know what God does sometimes? I, there's always people in the crowd that want to come to the front. Always. But then when they see one, they'd be like, mm, that's, mm, that could be me too, you know? And I believe that sometimes God just sets something in motion. Some of you may want to move, but there's something inside of you that says, well, I may sin, I may sin again tomorrow. Guess, I'd like to tell you something. <laughs> Everybody in here is going to fall tomorrow. The power isn't coming back. The power is saying he's still my leader. Is there another? Is there another? Amen. 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 Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? You just, this is, this is the day. This is your day. This is a milestone day for you. Is there another? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The reason why we're a community is that we're here to help you make the decisions that are hard to do on your own. Living for Christ on your own is hard. Is there another? Is there another? Is there another? Celebrate my sister. Amen. 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 Now, I'm, I'm not a marketing, okay, so I'm not going to keep doing this, but I'm just saying, I'm like, if I can just play this out, we're here all night, the whole church. No, I'm just saying, so I'm not going to do this the whole time, but I'm just saying today, 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 make today that day. Don't wait. Would you celebrate our sisters in the mighty name of Jesus? Celebrate our sisters in the mighty name of Jesus. Celebrate our sisters in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. I want to say to you all, you all have made such a critical decision. I want to say, especially Maxine, to you, I'm so proud of you, sister. I love you so much. I love you so much. And I want to say, I want to say to you all, when you make a decision like this and you move forward, it is scary, it, but it's powerful. And like any big decision, now we want to be a community to help you take the next step. You felt something inside of you, you felt something inside of you. We want to help you take that next step. Our pastors, Pastor Josh, Pastor Rasul, pastor, any pastor? Okay, Pastor Rasul. <laughs> pastor Rasul will take you to the back and he will walk you through the next steps. Again, celebrate our sisters. Right here. Right. You can walk with him. Follow him.
Others, others of you today, other, see, we're making Satan angry. We're making him angry. We're making him angry. He mad. He big mad. He's big mad. He was like another one. He was like, shut up. Stop. But we're going to keep doing this. That's why I just want to say, sorry, 12 o'clock. Y'all going to get this work. Um, listen, this is why we keep doing it. When no one moves forward, that does not mean someone didn't want to move forward. If, you, if, if we would just, you know, today, I'll be honest with you. Today, I fasted for the sole purpose of seeing people come forward. Today, I fasted for the sole purpose of coming forward. And I said, I, I think when we, when we first started this, I feel like I was a little bit more dependent on the Holy Spirit. And I think sometimes you can fall in less into dependence and more into technique. And I feel like, what if we all were urgent about people coming forward? Like, what if the Holy Spirit, what if you decided every Sunday, I'm going to beg God for someone. Didn't Jesus transform your life? Wasn't he the best decision you ever made? It's with that, that we ask you to just continue to pray for lives to change. If you didn't feel like you could come forward, but you feel like you need a fresh start with Jesus, we do have a foundations class. Um, and we also uh, have a, it's, a, it's, a, it's our baptism class. If you'd like to join that, we, if you would text the word faith to 55444, text the word faith to 55444, and then we'll have an opportunity for you to join and get connected there, all right? As we have the worship team come. We hope this message was encouraging to you. We invite you to send us an email at info at bridgechurchnyc.com so we can hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handle on all our social media platforms is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services are at 10.30 a.m. and noon on Sundays at 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.